The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 11. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. This week, we come to the end of Act 1, Scene 5. It's a slightly shorter portion of the text than usual, not least since I've been a little busy directing a show in recent weeks and it has opened this weekend. But here we go. Macbeth has just arrived home and come onto the stage right at the moment that Lady Macbeth is at the darkest moment of her incantation, calling on the power of night to cloak her shocking deeds and cover up her plans. As her husband enters, she speaks first. Great glams, worthy cordor, greater than both by the all hail hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant. She now has two titles by which to greet him, Glams and Cordor, since he is Thane of both. She reinforces this language we've been hearing throughout the play so far. He's great Glams and worthy Cordor, since nobody will question Duncan's choice to give Macbeth this title. But of course husband and wife have both shown us that they have greater plans, and she continues that he'll be greater than both of these soon enough, according to this all hail that he got from the witches. This scene introduces the dynamic between this husband and wife, and in many ways they are the most happily married couple in Shakespeare. They complement each other, they want great things for each other, and there's nobody else in the world for either of them. She's just finished reading his letter, and now here he is, and she tells him how his words have made her feel. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant. This ignorant present is really the end of things, and the beginning of something else, and it is ignorant because nobody else knows what they both know and what they're planning. Macbeth will be king and his passionate wife is already starting to feel it. I feel now, she says, the future in the instant. Time here is confused, and we have had, and we're going to have some more, a lot of language blurring the present and the future. Macbeth answers, and of course finishes her line of verse. My dearest love, Duncan comes here tonight. Lady Macbeth will be called many other things in the play, but it's worth emphasising that the first description anyone gives her, even after the shocking things she's just said and done, is her husband calling her his dearest love. He may not know that the messenger got home before him, so the first thing he does is tell her this big news, that Duncan is coming to their castle tonight. Of course she does know, and has tipped her hand and intimated what she's thinking to us in the audience. Her answer here is loaded, And when goes hence? Has Duncan suggested how long he might stay, she's asking, and Macbeth answers, tomorrow, as he purposes. Now I'd love to tell you that Shakespeare invented the word tomorrow, but it's far older than this play or anything Shakespeare wrote. But Macbeth has a relationship with this word, as we'll see several scenes and acts from now. No accident that he says it here. The line is short. Duncan is planning to leave their castle tomorrow. Sometimes actors make use of this short line to take a substantial pause here. It might be a way for Macbeth to signal heavily to his wife that just because Duncan is planning to leave tomorrow doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Tomorrow, 
as he purposes. This choice isn't really to my taste, since the line is actually completed by the lady, who is more than likely the one showing Macbeth that they have an opportunity, because she says, Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. Her suggestion is that Duncan will not see tomorrow. The sun will not rise on a world wherein he is alive, because they'll kill him tonight. This, of course, is an outrageous suggestion, and this is the first time they're saying it out loud, even if it has crossed Macbeth's mind already, too. He cannot but react, and whatever face he makes here will prompt what his wife says next. Your face, my fane, is as a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall, to all our nights and days to come, give solely sovereign sway and masterdom. We're starting to see how dangerous a schemer Lady Macbeth is. Already her husband is too much of an open book, and that will be a problem. He needs to keep his cards far closer to his chest. And meanwhile we're seeing just how good Lady Macbeth is at seeing all possibilities at the same time, which is why this scene has so many different time markers woven into it. She's saying, Your face, my fane, is as a book where men may read strange matters. She's counselling him that he's too easy to read, and therefore he'll become a prime suspect far too easily. She's going to need him to have his game face on, to help the time pass easily, he has to appear entirely comfortable with this royal visit and all that will attend it. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. And then she has a very famous line, look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. The idea of a snake in the grass is so old it's proverbial. Your edition of the play might give you various sources to explore on this, and of course a wife putting ideas in her husband's head thanks to a snake goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. But here Lady Macbeth is showing herself the mastermind in this arena. Macbeth dominates on the battlefield, but in the world of courtly life, she is the power player. She knows that Duncan will need to be treated well, and she promises to deal with all of that. This will be a big night for them, and, another gaming reference, if they play their cards right, this night will give them dominion and real power for the rest of their days and nights. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall, to all our nights and days to come, give solely sovereign sway and masterdom. On the off chance that there are any servants listening to this, Lady Macbeth seems to be using a great many euphemisms here. Anyone not intimately aware of the murderous ambition between this husband and wife might think that she was just planning a state dinner. But there's a very ominous undercurrent here. Duncan must be provided for. We can imagine what she means by that. Tonight will be a great business, she says. Again, it sounds innocent, but it can be very threatening. And, of course, to dispatch someone can very literally mean to kill them. But putting the business into her dispatch could sound like she means to be the Martha Stewart of Inverness and whisk up a terrific dinner, except she means that they're going to kill the king and take over. 
permanently. Macbeth might have more to say in answer to this, and he suggests that we will speak further. But she cuts him off. Again, she finishes his line, saying, Only look up clear. To alter favour ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me. The only thing he has to do is keep his poker face. Look up clear. Don't betray yourself with what's on your mind by letting it show on your face. And she gets him where he lives by saying, to alter favour ever is to fear. What she means by this is that only fear, a weakness, would change the expression on his face, his favour. So, since her warlike husband should never show fear, he should show nothing at all on his face and keep it clear. And if he can do just that, she'll take care of everything else. Leave all the rest to me. There's a reason that this couple is so often talked about. They're the archetype of ambition, but, as I mention, they are a great couple together. For now, at least. The scene is over, and they exit to go and get the castle ready. And I hope you'll tune in next time for Duncan's arrival and the beginning of scene six. Thanks a million for listening, and I'll speak to you then. <laughs>